Welcome to the Trinity Radio Podcast. This podcast has a video component found at youtube.com slash Braxton Hunter. This means you might miss some visual aspects of the show, but it shouldn't have a serious negative effect. We'd love it if you'd run over to the YouTube channel real quick and subscribe. And if you enjoy this content, do us a favor. Take a moment to give us a five-star review on iTunes and mention a couple of things you like about the podcast. If you really appreciate the show, you can help make it better and get extra content for as little as a dollar a month at patreon.com slash trinity radio. Enjoy the show. Welcome back to Trinity Radio after a two-week absence for which we apologize. I'm Jonathan Pritchett, and along with me is... Braxton Hunter. Yes. So glad to be back. Yeah. And uh, though I was exposed to COVID, and Jonathan was exposed to COVID, we are both, as far as we know, COVID-free. Yes. We're sorry if you're not. But we're so glad that you're here. And yes, I am perfectly aware that for those of you who are Mike Winger enthusiasts, Mike Winger is going to be on in about 28 minutes and i'm aware of that and i've told him i said mike i said we're going to go on at the same time as you it'll don't worry it'll hurt me worse than it does you literally it yeah. will hurt me worse right. than it absolutely so uh so anyway that's where it is right now but uh but anyway here we are and today is an exciting day because we come to the end of a series and this was kind of the first series as far as i can tell uh, on Trinity Radio since years ago, we did the Wyma series. Uh, Wyma Muslim, Wyma Catholic, Wyma. Y- you ought to go check that out. But um, anyway, here we are. And uh, for those that don't know, I initially made a video, 10 uh, questions for atheists. And a bunch of atheists responded to that, a couple dozen at least. I'm seeing new videos every day from people responding to it still. And so I took some of the ones from some of the responses and put them into individual videos for each question to follow up and to react to uh, to what atheists had had to say in response. Some and, good responses, I think, and yeah. some not so good. Yeah. And I think uh, today what we're going to see is a, a really interesting one, because the question for today is if it was demonstrated to your satisfaction that Christianity were true, uh, would you recognize God's authority, repent of your sins, and trust Jesus as your king? So the question is not, and I found this interesting, Jonathan, some of the atheists, and I didn't include any of those really, in the, well, there may be one guy who kind of took it this way, thought I was asking something like, if it were proven to you that Christianity is true, would you believe Christianity was true? And that's not what I'm asking. I'm saying, if it was demonstrated to you, to your satisfaction, that Christianity is true, would you then basically become a Christian, recognize God's authority, repent of your sins and trust Jesus. Mm. So that's the question. Um, and, uh, I, I, it's been demonstrated to my satisfaction that the Christian God exists and I have done all those things. What about you, Pritchett? Uh, well, yes. And as I've said a million times, I'm, I'm probably in, in my lifetime, not going to hear anything to convince me otherwise. And then, you know, after I'm dead, I'll find out that Christianity was true and it, I won't care. So, yeah, and I just want to go ahead and say, let me get this off my chest from something you just said, Pritchett. Mm-hmm. Several weeks back, I released a video about doubt in which I encouraged Christians who are constantly experiencing emotional doubt to uh, just commit and, and don't be blown around by every you know anxiety you have about whether something is true or not. 
And in that, I said uh, that I'm very committed to Christianity. I'm very confident that it's true and I don't really see anything changing my mind. And so as a result, I'm trying to convince you also that it's true. And I said in that same video, but if I, I'm technically open and if Christianity is falsifiable and if you falsify it, I will change my opinion. Now, there were several people who actually made reaction videos to that video and characterized me as I won't say dishonestly, but in a misleading way, whether it was intentional or not, as saying, I've decided this is true and nothing can even possibly change my mind. And that's and I literally said the opposite. in the Right. Video. And that's not what I just said either. I said, I, I'm not likely to hear anything new. I haven't so far and I'm not likely to hear anything new in my lifetime. Um, that's going to offset all. Of, well, number one, there's two things there, right? I mean, first, you've got to give me some compelling reasons. Uh, and, and another, you've got to be, you know, why God doesn't exist and also knock down all the reasons that I have for it. Right. Yeah. So there's two prongs there. And so far, no one has done it for me. Um, now, you know, I will admit, sure. Some of that, um, may just be the fact that I've answered those to my satisfaction. Some of it may be that I still just want Christianity to be true. And if, if so, fine, that's fine. You can, you can hurl that accusation at me, but that doesn't mean that you've still disproven Christianity to me any more than other people who say, well, I'm not convinced. I'm not convinced about, you know, any argument whatsoever. I've never made that claim. Christianity, we've talked all the time on this show about how Christianity is falsifiable. Yeah. So, so by the way, if you don't know what that means, that means there is a way conceivably in principle that you could demonstrate it false if it is false. Right. But the, and that's but the fact that I haven't been convinced of it because it hasn't been falsified, along with all the positive reasons that I have to believe it, is not the same thing as someone like a Matt Dillahunty who wants to just say, I'm not convinced by any amount of evidence whatsoever. Because there is evidence that 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 could be produced that would easily falsify Christianity, like the remains of Jesus, if that could be somehow proven or whatever. Um, well, that, and, and to that, be fair, I don't mean to interrupt yeah. this beautiful flow of thought that you're in, but just to be as faithful as I can, what Dillahunty would say is not that nothing could convince him, but that he doesn't know what it he is. He doesn't know what it is. And if there's a God, God would know what it is. We're happy to tell you what it is. First of all, demonstrate a, a contradiction in the nature of God as described uh, mm -hmm. by Christian theists. And, and then guess what? Uh, you will have falsified that God's existence. And it's kind of hard for G for Christianity to be true if there's no Christian God. And then, as you just said, uh, you could produce the bones of Jesus. But I get it to some people that sounds like some kind of a cop out, because how would you ever find right. that yeah. and demonstrate that? It's still in principle true. I'll give you one that's a little bit easier to shoot for, and I'm not the first to say it. But if you could find um, early manuscripts that were uh, defensibly from some other apostles or some of the named apostles that said something we like, up. we made this up. These yeah. guys are running around saying it's not true. Okay. That would put a huge dent. So there are ways we're, we're happy to tell you what, what there is now that wouldn't necessarily convince us that no God of any kind exists. We'd have to then go to that God, go to some other con right. conception of God and consider it again. But Christ, but the Christian God is the one we've got our stock in what we believe in. Uh, then that that God is falsifiable. But I know you're trying to take up for someone like Matt Dillahunty, but I, I, I'm not going to give him that much because the goalposts will, can always shift with that kind of epistemology that he brings to 
answering these questions, right? His underlying epistemology and those that share that, that kind of disposition or stance have an epistemological problem where they've so much is seated that, that no amount of miraculous events or anything else could, could convince them. So the goalposts always shift. So it's, it's more of a cop out, I think, to say uh, that, well, an omniscient God would know what, what, what could convince me when, when I could just as easily respond an omniscient God knows that you refuse to be convinced. Mm -hmm. Right. That's more of a cop out than saying produce some bones. I mean, from an, you know, yeah, well, that's my principal criticism of people that, uh, well, particularly Matt's explanation of that. Well, it's not position. just Matt. A lot of people take that sort of they stance. Do. In fact, the last video I did in the series, I think, dealt with that or yeah. recently one of them. But but I will say that the thing I have with the way he phrases it specifically is he says, I want a demonstration. And as I asked him directly, what does that look like? I don't know. Well, then whatever I give you, you're free then uh, just to say, well, that's not it. Uh, that's not a demonstration. Well, yeah. at least we are able to come up. At least we do know what would convince us that Christianity isn't true. So yeah. that's at least a, a step in the right direction, I think. Yeah. Here's a super chat from Angel WVM. Thank you so much. He says, how do you respond to atheists who say Christianity has to bend over backwards to seem true or something like that? Well, first of all, um, I would. I, how do I respond? I would say, what? Wh why do you say that? Right. What, what's your reason for saying that? I the premise that it <laughs> right. does. Right. I mean, it's so, like it's like some things when they're said a certain way sound reasonable in the moment. But but when you back off from them, another person will think that. Let me give you an example, a test case. Again, Matt Dillahunty in our debate, you know, he, he brought up the divine hiddenness problem that, oh, well, if there's a God, why isn't he more apparent? Why doesn't he come out and, you know, uh, give evidence? Of course, that that rings a little bit hollow when you consider that even if God did appear for people like Matt, they are free to say and are happy to admit it could be a sufficiently advanced technology. It could be um, a hallucination. It could be any number of things. So even that wouldn't do it. So it's, it kind of rings hollow to say, well, then give me give me more obvious God if you're going to dismiss or at least you say you would dismiss if you did get something like that. But I get that that sounds like, you know, convincing or reasonable prima facie, like, hey, if if there is a God, why doesn't he just you know, make himself more evident. But to those of us who believe that design arguments are persuasive and the beginning of the universe is best explained by God and morality is best explained by God and all these kind of things, we look around us and we think, are you kidding me? And I get the whole look at the trees sort of uh, characterization of this, which I totally embrace. Yes, trees uh, are incredibly and, well designed. And it, and it ended up being an awesome t-shirt. We have a t-shirt for that. Yes. Oh, um, it's a great t-shirt. But, but, but I get that that's the response to this, but that's not a good response. You there can't wear that t-shirt though. That's what's sad. You can't wear a t-shirt with your own face on it. That's it says, Hey, where's that written in the laws of the universe? Don't do it. You'll but, <laughs> don't just don't, but, you'll find out from everybody that it is a, it is a law. Don't but but for those of us that, that don't have a problem with saying, look, that, then we think that as we look around us, the fact that my, and I get biological evolution, blah, blah, blah. But the fact that however it came to be, that it came to be and works so well, that everything seems so incredibly finely tuned to within a hair's breadth in order for life to be possible. The, the fact that I mean, it, the, the morality that I observed, the beginning of the universe, like I said, all these different things, the contingency of, of, of these things, all of that, I look at it and I think every physical object and concept in the universe can be used as a part of a compelling case that God exists. What do you mean God's hidden? 
And if we did have God show up on the White House lawn once every couple of years to do a few miracles and remind us all that he exists, and if people didn't say, well, that could just be a hallucination or aliens trying to trick us in a conspiracy or something like that, then guess what? Even, even if they were willing to accept all of that, you could still ask for more. Well, if, if he's really real, and how, why do I only see him on camera? Why doesn't he appear on my front doorstep? And so where does it end? So I, I just, I would want to know, um, when you say Christianity has to bend over backwards to seem true, I could just as easily ask, atheism has to bend over backwards to seem true. So I, I don't, I, I would need more uh, to that, but it's a good question and it allowed us to read. I like Jamie's few. comment there. I would even say, right. I would even say one of the reasons I was, am a Christian is because I was born into a Christian house. So what? It says nothing about its validity. Exactly. That Those kind of arguments seem like they're trying to make something that's utterly fallacious, um, you know, into something that sounds reasonable and good, but it, it, it has, you know, just because uh, I was born into a Christian home, that's you know, that's how I came to know the uh, Christianity. That's it's just a, another way of doing the genetic fallacy. You know, it doesn't matter um, whether or not I was born in a Christian home, Muslim home, Jewish home, atheist home. None of that has any bearing on the truth claims of Christianity, whether they're true or false. So, I, I absolutely agree with you, Jamie Russell, and. He also just gave us a super chat. Yeah, and we are going to get to the actual video clips uh, for this last of the 10 questions. I know that may be why you in the future watching this clicked on this video. Um, but yeah, Jamie Russell says, uh, will the Komodo dragon eat pigs and monkeys alive and screaming after the new heavens and earth are realized? Is that something they currently do? I'm assuming in the question, I'm assuming the question is about animal suffering. And is this, this is something that happens now, I guess. And will that still happen in the new heavens and new earth? The answer to that is, I don't know. And I don't think anyone else knows. Yes. But here's, here's my thoughts on this, because I know that animal suffering is a thing. And I know that young earth creationists affirm that there was no death prior to the fall, right? Um, no, no animal death and, or anything of that sort prior to the fall. That's, I don't know if old earth creationists also affirm that or not. I don't, I don't think so. Don't affirm what? animal death prior to the fall. Do you think there was animal death prior to the fall? Uh, I, uh, I don't have a problem with it because yeah, for me, yeah. I don't think that's the kind of death that's, but here's the thing. To. Like, like I know Michael Jones says no, and I hope he's right. Says no, what there are, or says no to that idea. He thinks yeah. that there was animal death. And so, yeah. And here's why I hope he's right because that raises, forget Komodo dragons. Do I get a stake in the new heavens and new earth? You know, I mean, so, so God could probably manifest you a stake either way. Well, what, like, like the uh, replicator on Star Trek. Really? If they can do it in Star Trek conceivably, yeah, then but yes. replicated food is not the same thing as the real thing. And it might be in heaven. That. It could be better. Right. Well, OK, we'll see. You won't win arguments on imagination. Here's a challenge. God's hidden hidden in the sense that you are here doing the talking for him. And Yahweh and Jesus are just like all the other countless gods in that respect. Well, actually, we believe there's good historical reason to believe that God did do his own speaking for himself. Yes. Um, in the first century. But as Jonathan Pritchett said to me once, uh, God doesn't have to do that willy nilly whenever you want him to, because he's got people for that. That's right. So you're right. You're right. Yeah. Uh, I'm glad he's given us stuff to do. Actually, that is an interesting part of it. I mean, th yeah. the truth is we, we are the body of Christ. So the thing that separates us from other religions in the sense that we're talking about here has nothing to do directly with the divine hiddenness, unless you want to frame that as an argument and actually bring it as a robust challenge to Christianity. 
um, like Schulenberg or something. The, the, the fact is, uh, we believe what sets Christianity apart evidentially is there's better evidence for the truth. Yeah, I mean, you've got Jesus incarnate, but it's not just like all the other countless. I mean, haven't you read Homer? Like in the first chapter, right? Achilles has a conversation with the goddess. So I don't know. I mean, there's that's not even. So Waterblanc says, I get it. If, thank you for the super chat, Waterblanc. Uh, says, I get it if you try this in debate mode, but when trying to convince a non-believer, trying to shift the burden of proof is the worst thing to do. Well, you, I mean, you can, ha depending on the unbeliever, you can have what we could call an argument, I guess, not in the sense that you're being argumentative, but an argument, present arguments on either side. Mm -hmm. But really, personal conversations don't have to be that way as much. And so we're not worrying about burden of proof so much. Yeah. Sometimes that's important. We're just talking, man. And if someone said to me, uh, you know, hey, I think that God is is hidden and that's a problem. Why doesn't God appear more obviously? I would believe if he did, then I would take that at face value and I'd say, well, okay, look, what about this? What do you think about this? So, but yeah, in debate mode, I would debate. I mean, I, I would, uh, and, and shift it's shifting the burden of proof is an interesting way to say it. I realize that that's a, I'm not saying you're doing this. I don't even know if you're an atheist or a Christian or what, but uh, that's like a, becoming a mantra of sorts that, well, you're just trying to shift the burden of proof. Um, but when you're saying, that I don't see evidence of God. Um, mm -hmm. Therefore there is no God. That's a leap in logic. Yeah. And if you're saying, I don't see evidence of God, therefore it weakly um, evidences the claim that there is no such God. I, I guess maybe, I don't know if I would grant that, but it weakly evidences it. Maybe if you, if you have another premise there, maybe that you would expect such a God to, to give you uh, more evidence than he has. But you can call this shifting the burden of proof, but it's just asking a return question. Um, don't you see what we refer to as design and how do you respond to those arguments for design yeah. and morality? And all? Because we do see those. You're saying God is hidden. You're making the claim in this position. When you're making the claim, you have the burden of proof. That's yeah. how that works. And a lot of... If you're, hold on, this is a teachable moment. The person who has the burden of proof is the person making the claim. When you're bringing a divine hiddenness argument, you're bringing an atheistic argument to show that God does not or likely does not exist. And so you bear the burden of proof for that. Now, if I'm saying God does exist, I bear a burden of proof for that. So when you challenge me and say there's no evidence for God, it's no problem for me to say, all right, here's some evidence for God. What do you say about that? Or I don't see enough or he's too hidden. There's nothing wrong with me pushing some evidence back your way and saying, here you go. Talk to me about that. Yeah, well, as far as divine hiddenness goes, kind of that comment earlier makes me also think, in history, in a lot of ancient texts, gods and humans communicate. Now, Christianity is unique because it is an incarnation, right? It is a taking on uh, where, where God becomes fully man. And, of course, within Christianity, that makes a lot of sense because, uh, you know, a man has to, only a man could be a substitute for the sins of man, but only a god could could make the payment due, right? So there, there you have the god man. But when you look at all of these claims about when, when we say, well, Jesus did show up himself, well, a lot of gods and a lot of ancient writings showed up themselves too. What is the evidence for all of that? Mm. So I'm happy to talk about divine hiddenness, but even, even the most... Uh, non-christian skeptics that that aren't robert price will give you a historical <clears throat> jesus so we can ask is he god and what evidence do we have for that 
And so I think if you're going to bring up that Jesus was, uh, the historical Jesus was not divine incarnate, then that gets us into other things besides the divine hiddenness problem. Because then we have to talk about evidence for the resurrection, which validated all of his claims, one of which is, you know, I am the Father One and all that. So I should have had the Pritchett cam on. You don't have, yeah. Oh, what I'm saying is you don't get, you know, if, the divine hiddenness doesn't get you as much purchase as you think it does. I really appreciate this super chat, um, Stefan. But one of the things that Dr. Pritchett and I have long said is that where we are weak, theologically speaking, it's it's in our opinions about eschatology, because while we uh, both um, are familiar with views on that, we, we aren't uh, as certain about these things as other things. But here's the good news. Um, Mike Winger comes on in 10 minutes and you can go ask him. Yeah. But I'm so, I hate well, to dismiss I, you. I just yeah. don't know what to say about that. Yeah. You, what, you well, I would think the other way around. That I mean, Revelation echoes a ton of, of earlier prophetic literature, but then you just have to ask the question, which view of Revelation is right, and how does that pertain to eschatology? But certainly a lot of the, I mean, eschatology, you know, the whole tenor of uh, of a good portion of the prophetic literature along with in the Old Testament and the a lot of the New Testament is is apocalyptic and eschatological because of expectations. So uh, it just depends on which view you take from there, how you uh, how you uh, interpret those passages. Okay, so if you're in this now, you've been in for 22 minutes, and if we you're watching this in the future, clip. and you're thinking, when are they going to talk about the point of this video, which yeah. is, uh, what's the point? Uh, Question number 10. So if Christianity was demonstrated, I asked a bunch of atheists, if Christianity was demonstrated to your satisfaction, if it was demonstrated to your satisfaction that the Christian God exists, would you then accept God's authority, uh, repent of your sins and trust in Jesus? Let's hear what Godless Engineer has to say. No. Now, I would acknowledge that your particular definition of God exists and that Jesus, as defined by your particular denomination, exists. But that does not mean that I have to bow down and worship them. If your particular deity does exist, then I'm fairly confident that I'm about a hundred times more moral than that. Well, he is. That's all. All right. There you go. Was everybody able to hear that, by the way? So I make sure. Um. Basically, I wouldn't worship this Jesus guy and the Christian God because he's a jerk in the Bible. According to my moral standards, I'm more moral than him. Yeah. Which raises all kinds of issues of, well, you're an atheist, so where do you ground morality? And by what standard do you have to judge yourself greater and more moral than the only reasonable ontological grounding for morality to begin with? But, you know. I digress. Yeah, I mean, I I realize that, you know, like one time not too long ago, I I was talking about objective morality and a very famous, famous, (laughs) a very successful YouTuber. I don't know how famous most YouTubers in our in our range are outside of our circles, but a very well-known atheist YouTuber come on and said, man, I really like you. But here you're doing this objective moral value stuff that this is why people don't that this is what makes Christianity and Christian apologetics look bad or whatever. I'm thinking. Okay, words, man. I, I'm telling you, I understand that there are non-natural moral realists and people that have like a platonic understanding of these things. I understand there are people that call themselves uh, objectivists in the sense that they choose a subjective goal, but then there's objectively better and worse ways to get to that goal. What I'm saying is I don't think there is a defensible foundation for morality other uh, of objective morality other than God. Period. Um, and, and, that's- and there was a Christian apologist that 
prattled something on Twitter that somebody screen capped and, and put in our thing. I can't remember his name, but it said, I can't believe William Lane Craig still trots out that long refuted moral argument. That makes us, it's like, what in the world is he talking about? Do you remember who the, I would say his name if, if, if he was memorable. Uh, but I don't keep up with the who's who in apologetics because uh, we're not that important. But I, <laughs> but but I, I was flabbergasted. It's like, no, I'm sorry, but I've, I, I, like you said, we can go through all of those things, and none of, they all fail and come up short. So yeah, I, I just know. found what I was to finish what I was getting at. I, I just find it interesting whenever people who I don't think have a defensible foundation for um, any objective morality spout moral pronouncements upon the objective foundation for morality. Uh, the programmer I have, I have, I have in, in what little interactions that I've, uh, had with his content, which I don't, I didn't, I do a response video. Yes, to one of, yeah. A good one. Okay. Yeah. Um, but other than, and then Braxton will play me something. I've never heard him able to, to, to not have a potty mouth. Um, well, let's give him some credit. He's he's trying. He told me he's trying to clean up his act. A little no, bit. I'm just saying I, I, I'm not judging him for that. It was just someone asking, go without saying cuss words. And, and, and I'm saying, I, in my experience, no. I mean, look, I, I, I'm not going to say that I don't have the occasional, you know, curse word come out of my mouth. Of course, no. mm-hmm. But I don't, I, I keep my content clean. Like, we don't drop bad words on Trinity radio or on social media or anything. But if I stub my toe, I might utter something that would make Braxton frown. Yeah. Honestly, but, atheist is answering the question. He says, it seems to me that I would likely submit to the laws of a God that I was convinced of in the same way that I submit to the laws of the U S government, regardless of past atrocities. Reasonable answer. In fact, do you want to hear now? He's honestly atheist. Do you want to hear a really honest, honest atheist call out a bunch of other atheists? Right. I mean, it's kind of like if we were convinced that Cthulhu was the true God of the universe, right? I mean, he's not going to be happy about it, but I'm not going to incur the wrath of Cthulhu. So you just kind of get on with it. Elizabeth Vane says, a little Frankie Turek says, use this question. He uses this question to determine if the unbeliever has a reason problem or a heart problem. That's true. I wasn't trying to be derogatory when I said little Frankie Turek. Uh, I like Frank Turek. All right. Uh, but do you want to hear the most honest, like a really honest atheist answer where he calls out a bunch of other atheists? Here it is from, I mean, one of the great joys of this series is that I discovered this man, Noel Plum. Here he is. Well, I mean, if I found out that Christianity was true, then kind of how could I not? Why would I not? I mean, you know, it's like if you look out the window and it's raining, on what grounds would you want to shout at the window it's not raining i mean if you if you if some okay first of all let me just stop it right there for a second and say he's wearing a shirt that says hot tuna am i reading that right yes okay i didn't notice that yeah i I need to pay attention to stuff like like that because i mean like that's an interesting shirt uh but this is an example of what i'm talking about i think he must know i wasn't asking the question if you were convinced that the christian god exists would you believe the christian god exists uh, but it's okay because he goes on to answer 
uh, the fuller question. Thing leads you to believe without a shred of personal doubt that something is true, then why would you want to claim that it wasn't true? I don't know. But there are some atheists who try and play the Billy Big Bollocks card with regard to this and say, well, if God exists, I'd tell him to go F it off. You know, <laughs> you know, I'd tell him, right, That that's, I, I don't know, I never know where that comes from. Right, that kind of false courage. There are real life dictators tyrants terrible terrible people on earth who hold people you know they will torture you they will torture your family they will watch your family you make you watch your family be tortured unless you do what they say and people do what they say but the the, the threats that they can hold over you are finite right if they torture you too much you die if they don't torture you too much, well, you're going to die anyway, right? The, 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 the amount that they can do to you is finite. As I understand it, the punishment for, for not doing what God wants you to do is not a finite punishment. It's far worse. It's an infinite. The punishment just goes on forever. It never ends, at least in, in some, the view of some Christians, right? And a sort of more traditional Christian view. It, it's, it's beyond horrific. Um, people don't stand up to these tyrants. They give in. They'll they'll commit atrocities themselves if they need to, unless they think that they can just quickly die, have a quick bullet to the brain or whatever. Some people are courageous enough for that. The idea, you, you've either got to be sort of naive or have zero imagination uh, to, to really understand what's at stake here, to think that you would face down the Christian God and not do exactly what he told you to do. I can tell you, right, and, and I don't say this without any guilt or, or feeling that I, I should have to apologise for this. I would do exactly what he told me to do. That includes commit atrocities. If he told me to do it, because I would be so fearful, so utterly fearful for the penalty of not doing that i could maybe take some torture i could maybe take take being killed my life ceasing to exist but the idea of an infinite period of punishment of torture is too scary really so yeah i would accept i would accept anything pretty much i would accept anything to save my own bacon if that was if that was the case any amount of worshiping any amount any deed anything like that okay Pritchett somehow I think you like that answer what, what would you well, I do like that answer because it's honest I think he's right that you know we especially coming off of, of godless you know that false bravado because that that godless engineer was giving because this, yeah he's basically calling out people like that right because you know and it does come down to I mean, I know what he might have meant by it, but he's right. Uh, you're not. There's a naivety there. There's there's this idea of you know this lack of imagination because the thought experiment behind the question is if this is all true, and at least he's recognizing. And I think that I mean, you know, um, there are time and context bound things of acts of judgment that God uses real to do that people call atrocities and all that, and we've had plenty of episodes on that stuff but I'm, I'm just saying you're not going to be asked to do that um but but he still at least gets the idea but what i want to say and i'm sorry if this is going to make me sound like our presuppositional friends but what he described these naive godless engineers 
that is what they are doing to the Christian God, right? And so, you know, it's 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 not really a thought experiment. That's actually what is going on, right? Is they are giving the middle finger to God, and and if you believe in the traditional view of hell, he's right about uh, what Christians believe. Uh, about that view. Well, and he's still right. Goes on. He's, even yeah. on conditionalism, he's still right, although I don't think he's thinking of this, right. that there is an everlasting punishment right. in the it's, sense that you'll die but and that will never he's change. he's thinking of an everlasting He's thinking chamber. of eternal consciousness. Right, yeah. Torment or torture. And or I mean, yeah. I like his honesty. Like, I get that he has objections, right, like you just said, right. to that God or to a God doing something like that or to some of the And not believing that the God exists. But he could put but that aside. If that's what's to, on the table, right. yeah, i Think what you want about me. I'm doing whatever you want. Right. And before people, you know, and, and I can hear some more wishy-washy type of Christians um, that 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 want to say, well, it's about the love. It's not just about fear. Now, there's plenty of fear God in the Bible. And Jesus ran around trying to scare the hell into everybody. So, uh, yeah, there's a there's an element to that. So you've said it 